I'm Cricket, and we're going to just jump right in. We are on a series called Strong and Courageous, because um, last year, I don't know about you, but it was nothing that I imagined. I started last year off thinking, going to be a great year, and then all of a sudden, 2020 January hit, and boom, the world went upside down. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my Christian walk, I imagined things that God is going to do or imagine what my life should be since I gave my heart to the Lord. And then I wake up and it's not what I imagined. And so I don't know what to do with that for years. And I was like, God, this is nothing like I imagined it would be like. And then God began to show me I'm not supposed to be able to imagine it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, no, eye has seen nor ear has heard or has even entered into the thought of man. One translation says, or you have not even imagined. Then it changes. And it says this, the good things that God has in store for you. I tell you, this is a year that you need to understand. We serve a God of hope. And tomorrow is going to be better than your yesterday. Whatever you're facing today, God is a God of hope. And hope says it will not be this way much longer. Weeping may last for a night. But the Bible says, but joy comes and it is on his way. And I truly believe 2021 is going to be a year of joy, a year of life, a year of promises. So think about it is for years, I imagined what it would be like or what the Christian life would be like. I don't know about you, but I've, I've wondered a lot of times I've got to see people's lives and people serving the Lord. And man, I see what they have and I see what they're doing. And I would want that because I would be so far from that. And so I would start trying to be what they have, but then the Lord would tell me, I've got something better than you could even imagine, Cricket. And I want you to know, 2021 is going to be better for you than you could even imagine. And it's going to be full of God. So like Leah said, this is a year you've got to learn to get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. He's the God of hope. And you've got to learn to get your hopes up. Because if you can't get your hope up, you won't be able to have faith that He's going to do it. And it is impossible. To please God without faith, but all things are possible to him that believe. So this is a year that God's going to do great things. But the thing about it is, some people are going to miss out. It's just the truth. You know, uh, you ever uh, heard of a good deal going on in town, and everybody got there and got it, and then when you got there, it was over, and you missed out? Yeah, there was a there was a time um, I, I'm just way off script. I'm just going to go on it, but um, you know, uh, when me and Jim first got married. Our first Christmas, I've told this for is I, I didn't know what to get her. She was a runner. And so um, I went to, uh, it was in Camden, then at Belks, and I was going to get her a pair of running shoes. You know, we were just married. I was unemployed, and I advise anybody that's about to get married, don't get married unemployed. It's not easy. And I was unemployed, and we just got married. And um, it was Christmas was coming about, and I didn't know what to get her. So I went to Belks. I was going to get her a running, pair of running shoes. So I went in, and, you know, I was on a budget, and so I was looking for a pair of shoes, and found a pair that I thought she would really like. So I bought them, went up to pay for them. And they were about $70 shoes. They rang them up and they came up $7. I said, whoa, you got that? Is that right? Is that... And they're like, yeah, there's a glitch going on in the system right now. I said, well, does that mean you got to sell it to me like that? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, does that work on all the shoes? And they said, well, yeah, until we get this fixed, whatever they ring up, we got to sell them for. So I went back over to the lady's shoes and I got 
every single pair of sevens they had in every style and every design. Some were ringing up for $2. Some were ringing up for $3. Then I got on the phone and I started calling everybody that I knew. I called my brother. I called my, said, y'all got to get up here. They're, they're doing crazy shoe sales. And, you know, there was a glitch in their system. They had to sell. I ended up getting Jennifer about 30 pairs of shoes that day. And uh, thought, wow, man, I'm going to win. You know, so, but then my sister and them didn't get the calls till late. When they got there, it was over. They missed it. And I don't know about you, but this year there will be some people that miss it. But finish that story. At Christmas came around. Jennifer came to um, that morning. I had about 50 boxes or 30 boxes under that tree, all the exact same size. And she could not figure out what I had got her. <laughs> so I was so excited. She going to open all these kinds of So she started opening it up. And first pair, she was like, oh, great, run shoes. About the third pair, she was like, oh, run shoes. And by the time we got to like box 15, it wasn't. Good to her anymore. She's like, are every one of these boxes running shoes? And we've been married now 16 years, and she still has running shoes she hasn't worn. And so not every idea is a good idea. But saying this, I don't want us to be a church that misses anything that God has for us this year. And so I believe that if we're going to receive or we're going to live the life that God has for us, we need to get the right idea of what God's doing. It's a story about a pastor that was out visiting um, people in his neighbor, in his congregation one day, and he was going from a member's house, member's house, and he was at one member's house, and he went and knocked on the door, and the person came, he visited him, just said, you know, how glad he was for the church, see if there's anything to pray about. When he turned around across the street, there was a little boy standing on a porch, jumping up, trying to ring the doorbell, but he couldn't quite reach it, so he was stretching and reaching, trying to jump up and get it. So the pastor walking back to his car says, I'm going to go help him. So he walked across the street, went um, up to the porch and put his hand on the little boy's shoulder. And he said, here we go. I got it for you. He reached up and rung the doorbell. And the pastor leaned down and says, now what do we do? And the little boy goes, we run. And the little boy took off running. That pastor completely misinterpreted that situation. And I don't know about you, but in my Christian walk, I, have complete, I would see people living their life for the Lord and I would see what was going on and say, wait, I would completely misinterpret it. And so, you know, I began to go, God, what is this life you're supposed to have for us? What is this Christian, spirit-filled, abundant life that your word talk about supposed to look like? And then, duh me, man, there's been, he drew us a picture of it for thousands of years in his word. For some reason, it was just like right over my head. And so going into this year, God has just really been showing me not only is my, what my Christian walk is supposed to be, but what this year will be for us. You know, the pictures found for his people in the Old Testament. It was God's plan from the very beginning for them to land, live in a land of blessing and prosperity, for them to live in a land that they, they can live in peace and have a quiet and peaceable life. And in the Old Testament, man messed up and blew it and lost that garden that God had for him. Man, I don't know about you, but... Um, that made me mad, you know, because that could have been our house, you know. Or that. But the truth is, if, if y'all all would have got it right before me, I would have messed it up for us then, too. So we would have found ourselves right here. But God's plan didn't stop with the failure. And even though Adam and Eve failed, God's plan began to unfold. And it didn't keep us from living this life that God wants us to have. Because then we find in Genesis where God promises Abraham this life and this covenant and this relationship But out of this covenant and this relationship, he's going to give them a land, the Bible says, that flows with milk and honey. 
a land that they can live in that will be theirs, a land they can possess and raise their family and raise their children, a land that will be something that they own. And you know, I don't know about you, but the greatest battles you'll ever fight in your life is over possessing land. You ever try to buy a house? It's tough. The devil doesn't want you to have land or have possess, or possess something like that because he knows once you get it, God wins. All God needs is an inch of ground, and the city becomes his. That's why I'm glad God put this church right in the middle of the city. Because it already is a city that the Lord belongs to and the Lord owns. And, but, so, so this land, he told Abraham, it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey for your generations and your generations and generations. Well, hundreds of years passed, and they didn't get it. As a matter of fact, hundreds of years passed, they find themselves living in slavery in a foreign land, living in Egypt. Now this, they're so far from what they thought that Christian life was going to be. As a matter of fact, they'd even moved to a place where they were living without the presence of God being involved in their circumstance, their situation. And at this point, when we pick up, when the children were in Egypt, the children of Israel were in Egypt, God was at a distance. Because it's what the Bible says. It says that God heard their cries. It didn't say they were talking to God. Or, and their, that the, the life and circumstance and situation had drawn them so far away from God. No longer was He their Lord, but now they had become slaves to the world. But I'm so thankful we have a God that loves us and hears our cries. Aren't you glad that the Bible says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't know how many days I have had to cry out to God. God, help me. I've blown it. God, help me. I've messed up. God, help me. I'm in a mess. God, and there's not been a single time God's faithfulness has not come through. And I'm here to tell you, if you're in one of those messes today, you need to just cry out. Today's your day that God can turn your situation around. And the Bible said that they began to cry out and God heard and he sent a deliverer. And Moses showed up and Moses and the hand of God was with him and the plagues hit and defeated the enemy that was trying to hold them slavery. And it put them into the wilderness. But then they went out of this mentality of being a slave to the world now into a season of having experiences with the presence of God. Their lives began to change. Man, I tell you, aren't you, aren't you excited today? That God is here and you get to experience Him. Because one of the main purposes of our church is for you to be here today and you to know God. That's what we do on the weekends. We try to create environments and, and circumstances. We can't make God move, but we can make sure He's here. And the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in the midst of Him, He is here in the midst of them. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of His people. So God is here today. And whether you know it or not, you are experiencing Him at some level. You get to choose at what level you experience Him. But our heart's desire as a church is that today you walk out of here knowing God a little bit more than you did when you walked in this door. And then also we believe that God's going to help you find freedom because there's a purpose that He wants you to discover and God wants you to go outside this world and make a difference. And that's our purpose of the Victory Church. And so we have plans. We don't do a whole lot of things. We just try to do those. But here in this story we're picking up in, the children of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. And the reason why they had to spend 40 years in the wilderness is because they had to get their mindsets right. But the problem was, there were some that couldn't. It was because they had been through so much. They had, you know, endured for so long. They had been let down, broken, held in bondage, and, you know, treated as a slave for so long. that men, No matter what or how God showed up in their life, they could not believe that our God is bigger, that our God is greater. And there's nothing greater or bigger than our God. 
We see that when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. And for 40 years, when they come out of the wilderness, they came into the mountain and they met God. First time they got to experience the presence of God. God's mighty hand moved with the plague, split the waters in half and destroyed their enemy. They saw the hand of God. Now they got to see the face of God, the Bible says. And now they were given this life of having a relationship with God. Think about it is a lot of them did not cherish that. Just being free was enough for them. They didn't want to move forward. And they didn't do what it took to be able to change their belief systems or challenge what they've always known and allow God to. Because, I mean, you would think when God would show up every day and put manna on the ground, and they never had to worry about anything to eat, that that would change your perception of God. You know, He's going to provide all my needs. You'd think that would do it. But yet, here we are, still alive in 2021, and some of us still doubt. You would think that when snakes crawled into the camp and they bit people, and all you had to do was look up at the pole that had the snake on it, that God told them to lift up that represented Jesus, and they were instantly healed and they didn't die. We, they, you would think that they didn't have to worry about being sick, that God would, God would take care of them. Yet, here in 2021, we still wonder when we get sick or get a cold or get a dog, can God heal? There were, when, when they even had wants and desires, I mean, man, at their time, truthful, we're just selfish people. And they were too. And they actually got tired of eating manna. And they said, God, we want some birds. And God sent all the birds in. So yet, they doubted that God care about what they care about. I'm here to tell you. You can look back in your life and you can see the faithfulness of God in every one of your situations. I promise you, you would not be here because the devil's been after you since your first day. But God has been working on your behalf, either behind the scenes or right in front of your face to keep you so that you can keep and believe that God loves you. He cares for you and he's going to take care of you. But yet there's still some of us that can. And that's why I believe there are Christians that wonder, spend their life wondering around in what a spiritual wilderness. Just getting by and just surviving. But that's not God's plan for your life. See, God didn't call them out of Egypt to put them in the wilderness. Did they have to go through the wilderness? Absolutely. You gotta, when you come out, when you first get saved, there's a time you have to learn to know who God is. And that's what you call freedom. That's why here at the church we do small groups and life groups because that's where we believe people together find freedom. You begin to know who God is and you know what God has done and how God's going to move and work beyond and do all the miracles. That's why we do our life groups. But they, after 40 years, couldn't get it. But the next generation underneath them grew up and, see, they don't, they didn't have the mindset of slavery. They had the mindset of, man, my God has put man on the ground. Man, my God has, has put it. When the snakes came in, they had no problem believing that their God was bigger. Their God is greater. There is no God like their God. And so the Bible says that God said that the generation that could not believe would not get to live in the promised land. And the truth is, they died in the wilderness, except for two of them. The Bible says there were two guys that didn't die. And the two guys that didn't die, Joshua and Caleb, I know I'm giving... Bible history here, but I'm a children's pastor by heart. All right, so they, the, the, they, they, Joshua and Caleb, the Bible says, they were young. And what happened was, when they first came out of Egypt, Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land, which the Bible says he promised Abraham the land that flows with milk and honey, which is called the land of Canaan, which is what the children of Israel were to possess. They were to go across the wilderness and across the Jordan River. And then he set borders that I'm going to give you this for your, your nation and you will always possess it. That life you dreamed of is yours. And so the ones that couldn't believe it died. But then there were two 
or they sent the 12 to spy the land and they come out and they said, oh, you guys won't believe this land that God has for us. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. The, the fruits and the, the fields, the farms and the houses and the sea. It is so unbelievable. Two of them saw that. Ten of them saw that the giants that lived there were too big for God to fight and kill. So when they went back, the ones that couldn't believe that God had this for them, they never possessed it. That wasn't the judgment of God because, let me ask you this, the ten that believed they couldn't and the two believed that were could, who was right? All were right. You have exactly what you believe. What you believe about your God is what you live. And whether or not you believe God wants your life to change, whether or not you believe God has blessings for you, because the Bible says, if you, if you can only believe, you shall receive. We want to receive, so then we will believe. But that's not the promises in the life that God has for you. We first believe, and you will receive. It can't be stopped. Like you say, well, if you just show it to me, I'll believe it. Yeah. Then you may not ever get there. But the truth is, God wants more for you. Now, that's the Old Testament. God shows us and uses the Old Testament to show us types of shadows. Those types of shadows are pictures of what He has for us in the New Testament. That promised land that he had for them, and that there was such a city, uh, such an idea, such a life of hope, that for hundreds of years people wanted it so bad. They dreamed about it. They prayed over it. They cried out for it. They just couldn't believe it. But then there was a generation that could. In the New Testament, God has the same thing for us. There is a promised land that God wants you to live in. And it's not necessarily a physical piece of land, but it is called a promised life. It's a life and a life. See, the wilderness was in the scripture, John 10, 10, says where he came to give life. He did. He set you free. He will save you. And you can live your whole life saved. Broke. Live your whole life saved. Sick. Live your whole life saved. Bound. Live your whole life saved. Addicted. Or you can go further and believe that he wants more for you than just saved. But he wants you to be life and life more abundantly. The promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey, is a picture of the spirit-filled life that God has for us in the New Testament. You know, it breaks my heart when I read the story of the woman at the well, because when you read the story of the woman at the well, the Bible says she, Jesus shows up in Samaria, and when he gets there, there's a church girl sitting there on the well. And we think, oh, no, she's not a church girl. Look at her life. Because we've always preached that, you know, she's got she's done had five divorces and you know she's living with the guy now and but i know she's a christian girl because of this she was a church girl because when jesus when she figured out jesus was a prophet this is what she said she said all right you jews you worship in the synagogue we worship on the mountain that is the best picture i can think of of somebody that knows god in the new testament but has never understood that god has something more for them in in their day-to-day life it's just not a pie in the sky when you die god has a plate on your steak while you wait But the problem is, most of us can't believe that God really wants us to do that. But then there are some of us that believe that God can, but you're not willing to fight for it. See, the Bible says that it's a land that flows with milk and honey in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus said it that well. He said this, if you knew who you were asking. See, she got up every day knowing who God was, but she was having to go to the well to find a drink to meet this need or this she would, this desire or this hurt or wash this dirt. or She was having to go search for 
worldly water to fix what God's promises had already fixed for her. She just had no idea that God had it available to her. That's why he said, if you only knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you a drink of living water. See, God has a life for you that your life is supposed to flow in. It's supposed to flow. It's called the spirit-filled life. And it's the life that will allow the promises of God to change every bit of your circumstances. See, every promise in the Bible is a Polaroid picture of your future. If you'll choose to believe what God has said. It only takes you believing. The problem is most of us just get up and try to figure out how to do it on our own. I'm here to tell you, this year, the Bible says that the children of Israel came unto the river Jordan. Five different places in the Old Testament says they came unto the river. But there came a day where one young man rose up and said, it's time to go over. I don't know where you've been living. I don't know if you're tired of just coming unto what God has for you. Just to find yourself wandering around, wondering when God's going to do it, or wondering when God's going to bring it, or wondering. It's time for us to go over this year. And you say, well, I'm just waiting on God. You need to understand, we talked about last week online, God wasn't waiting. I mean, Joshua wasn't waiting on God. God was waiting on Joshua. Because this is what he said. He said, Joshua, that everything that I promised Moses is yours. I will give you everywhere your foot treads. He didn't say, I give that to you, go tread on it. You got to be willing to rise up and take what God has given for you. Because God gave the children of Israel a promised land, a land that flows with them, that every promise that he had ever said to them existed in. God, is there's a life available for you and me that there is a way we can get up and every promise in the Word of God is available to us. The problem with it is we're going to have to understand that it's not just going to happen. We're going to have to fight. There are giants. There are enemies. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. You need to understand there's some giant demons out there that have been fighting against you since the day you hit this planet because they know that the land or the promises they possess are not theirs. They stole them. And it's time now for us to rise up as a church and realize God's ready for us to possess this life for us. And I believe 2021 is the year. The Bible says the kingdom of God suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. I'm ready this year. Are you ready this year? So if I'm ready this year, I've got to understand what it is I got to do. Because if it was up to Joshua, we're then... And you, let me tell you something really cool about Joshua. You know, Joshua in the book, uh, in the um, Old Testament, in, with the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The, the name for Joshua in Hebrew is Yeshua. The New Testament was written in Greek. All right? So in the New Testament, the name Jesus is Yeshua. It's the only book in the Bible that has the name Jesus as a title. Because that's exactly what Jesus did in the New Testament and pictured in the Old. What God used Joshua to do, to come and separate the river and make way for his people to walk into all that God has for them and lead them into every battle with the word and the power of God at their side and at their hand. This is what God has for you. 
If you want to know what your life is supposed to look like, you need to read the book of Joshua. You say, well, great, when I read the book of Joshua, it looks like there's a lot of fighting. Yeah, you've got to get ready to fight. But you've got to understand something. You're never going to fight alone. This is what the Bible says in Joshua. When we talk about last week, very, very, he says, I'll give you everywhere your foot treads. He said this, I make this promise to you. I will be with you. This is not like anything. You will not go through anything in your destiny toward God without God being involved in it with you. So I can tell you this. The presence of God makes all the difference. Maybe you've tried to do this in the past. I want to ask you this. Was the presence of God with you? Because I've tried to do things on my own, and they did not pan out. But then when God, and I put God involved, and I made it about and God went with me, and we took, man, there wasn't nothing that could stop me. The Bible says, if God be for you, who can be against you? You say, what you're talking about, cricket? sounds so foreign. Go with God. He says, I'll be with you. This is the promise. And you're going to have to believe the promise. Number one, we talked about last week online. You've got to believe the promises. If it's in the Word of God, God said it. You've got to believe it. It's yours. You've got to believe it. You've got to just make up your mind. Well, that sounds crazy. Don't matter if it sounds crazy. I'm healed. What do you mean? I got, I'm sick. You're healed. You've got to believe the promises. It's called faith. Then secondly, what you have to do is you have to not only believe the promises, but what you have to do is you have to be willing to walk out the promises. The Bible says this for Joshua. He said, he said, everywhere you foot drive, I'll go with you. And then God began to tell Joshua everything that he was going to do. But he ends this in Joshua 1 by saying this. He says, everything, he said that if you'll, number one, believe what I said, number one, live what I, what I got, number two, make the Word of God a part of your life, then what will happen is everything you do will succeed and everything you will do will prosper. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Joshua 1, 8, it says, don't let the Word of God uh, If I keep his commandments and I don't let the word of God depart out of my mouth, everything I do will succeed and everything I do will prosper. So this is what God told Joshua he was going to have to do to go into it. One, you have to believe the promises. Number two, you have to obey the commandments. Three, you're going to have to make the word of God a part of your life. You'll never do anything great for God. You'll never possess anything great for God without the word of God being a part of who you are. It has to come in you. It has to transform you, and then it has to come back out of you. Isn't that amazing how God makes that work? And it'll work every single time you allow it to do that. But then the Bible says this. So that's how God got ready to go. So we're going to jump in real quick. I'm going to go real fast today because I've only got a couple weeks before Easter. And I'm so entrenched into this book because it is changing me from the inside out, up and down. And Jennifer, the other day, got up and said, my goodness, who am I married to? You get handsome more every day. So it's that book of Joshua. Yeah. That book of Joshua, it's amazing what Jesus will do for you. But, um, so we're going to get into this thing, all right? All right? So in Joshua 1, God told Joshua how to do it. But then he said this. Before the end of Joshua 1, six different times, God told Joshua, or Moses told Joshua twice. God told Joshua three times. And then the very end of Joshua 1, the people looked at him and said, yes, you're going to have to be very strong and very courageous. You will not possess this spirit-filled life without you being strong and courageous. A New Testament way of saying that is without you being able to walk by faith and not by sight. That's why the New Testament calls it a walk of faith, a life of faith, a fight of faith. And I can tell you this, the enemy will fight you with the biggest giants. He will come after you trying to take your joy. He will come after you trying to take your peace. But you can know this. You're not going into these things alone. There may be giants along the way. And during this series, we're going to talk about giants one week. One of the biggest giants. I, I, I will get into that next week. <laughs> but we're going to talk about giants this week. But the enemy's going to throw giants at you. But you've got to know this. This is a fight. 
but you've already won. Joshua won before he ever walked in. He just had to be willing to keep on walking. You know, you can't be beat as long as you just keep going. The only time a promise of God has never come true is when somebody quit before they received. Every promise is a matter of time. So I says weeping will last for a night. If, it, if you're in a situation right now and things are bad, it's only a matter of time. It's because joy comes in the morning. That's only a matter of time. And as long as you can hold on, as long as you don't give up, as long as you don't give out, as long as you just keep showing up, there's nothing that can stop you. If the Bible says that this spirit-filled life is the life that you've always dreamed of, He gives you the desires of your heart, that thing on the inside of you, that wanting for more, that understanding that you were meant for more than what you're living, that's from God. And that comes from the Spirit-filled life. All that joy you desire, all that peace you desire, all that love you desire, all the goodness and all the things that God has in store for you comes from the Spirit-filled life. And it only comes, I'm going to tell you, to the strong and courageous. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be getting into strong and courageous. But before we can talk about how to actually be strong, we've got to look at what happened with Joshua and the children of Israel before God could do it on their behalf. Because yet, Joshua and Caleb showed up. Or Joshua and the children showed up, but God was the one that always did it for them. Our job is to show up. And it's God's job to do what we can't do. They could never knock those walls down of Jericho. And we'll be talking about that over the next couple of weeks. Had God not have shown up. But they had to show up too. The walls weren't laying on the ground when they got there. A lot of times we want God to do it. So that we can just walk into it. And God is saying you need to start putting your foot where it needs to be. And I will give it like I said I would. And so in this process we have to learn. We've got to be what we're supposed to be. So that God can do what he wants to do. And so this is going to be a series on how we're going to become strong and courageous. Because in this book, it tells us how to. So today, we're going to jump right in into Joshua chapter 5. We were in one last week. We're going to go over to 5 now. Because this is the exact picture of what Jesus is wanting to do on your behalf. And if we can watch and follow this mountain. You guys ever... You guys, who's a Waze traveler in here? You've got the Waze app on your phone. Anybody in here with Waze? Am I the only Waze app? You know why I use Waze? It shows me where the popos are. I travel a lot. If you don't have Waze app, you don't know where the cops are. They're going to get you. I got Waze app. So, so how many guys are Google Map guys? You know what I'm saying? You uh, put it in the Google Map when you're going somewhere. It gives you GPS. How many guys are still MapQuest? You still print it off. You don't trust anybody or the government. They're fine. I'm going to get there on my own. I'm gonna re- I know there's people like that. But what we are is what we are. We're going toward what God has for us. And he gave us a map in the book of Joshua. How to get into this spirit-filled life. And he did through pictures and types of shadows. But if we will just follow this map when, on ways, when I watch, when I'm doing ways, you know, the, every symbol's got a different picture. You know, saying all the different ways. All you got to be willing to do is follow the pictures and symbols in the book of Joshua. I'm saying by the time we get there, you're going to be like, wow, look what God did, okay? So let's jump right into it. And here in Joshua 5, 1, it says this. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. Now I'm going to move into kind of a prophetic side right here. What I felt, what the Lord declared to me as I was preparing this. You know, here the Bible says that when the children of Israel got to the river Jordan, the Bible says that it wasn't just a river they had to cross. The river was at flood stage. 
The most dangerous time to cross this river of that season would have been at flood season. Because it was miles out of its banks. And history record when it flood, when it gets out of, of flood season, the Jordan River can go back up to 56 miles of thousands and thousands of gallons of moving water. So of all the times to go into, they've had 40 years to move into what God has for them. Why didn't God do it when the economy was good? Why would God wait till 2021 to get ready to really transform our lives? And I believe 2021 will be the year that we're going to see the promises of God in our lives like never before. God told me that this is the year of hope. Get my hopes up so I can see what God's going to do. And so moving into this year, I said, I'm thinking, God, why didn't you do it back in 2010 when things were actually bumping and going and good and economy was recovering from the last one? You know, things were going forward. And why did you wait till 2020 when economy's crashing and people are facing pandemic and the whole nation is mad at each other and, you know, finances and jobs? Why do you? Because you need to know this. Flood. Season is always harvest season. When the Jordan River flows out of its season, it's right before harvest. You need to know something. If we just went through 2020, you're about to walk into harvest season. And you're going to walk into a season that was ripe and ready for you to walk into. I don't want to show up during planting season. <laughs> Those aren't fun. I'm ready to show. And sowing season, I mean, reaping season is a lot of work. But I tell you, the payoff is good. See, the river, God brought them right up to their promise. Right at what seemed to be one of the hardest times. Because that's just the way God works. They also, they didn't have to go across this river alone. The Bible says the hand of God pushed this thing back. I've never seen a year like 2020 that the flood of the devil has come against more people. I've seen more marriages collapse. I've seen more uh, addictions relapse. I've seen more issues happen. I've seen more people get sick. I've never seen the enemy come in like a flood like I have. But then this is what the Bible says. When he does, the Lord's going to raise a standard. And the Lord is telling me that I can raise my level of hope. I can raise my level of faith because I'm about to see what God, what the enemy tried to use for harm. God's about to turn for good to save many lives. 2021 is going to be a better year than you could ever imagine or dream. But we're going to have to be willing to take the steps that God has called us to. It's called to be strong and courageous. And the first step in being strong, though, is us moving to a place to eliminate weakness. Because, see, the enemy would love to get us up to a place of prosperity, get us up a place where God's blessing us, get us up to a place where we're successful, and then cause us to fall. And so before we walk into what God has for us this year, we have to look in the book of Joshua here. We have to see what they had to do to handle what God was about to do. And it said this, it says that, they, so when they says that they, they the Lord pushed back the rivers and says their the enemies' hearts had melted. You don't think the devil knows what's about to happen? The devil did everything he could do in 2020 to try to stop you. The devil did everything he could do to try to stop the church. He shut the doors of churches around the country. And the truth is, one out of five churches won't open back up. There are families that fell out of church, that weren't, have still, haven't been, he did everything he could do. But I love this. I look around here today, and that scripture, that in the New Testament, where Jesus says, you know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. 
The devil's heart has melted today. You're still here. You're still alive. You're still serving the Lord. You haven't fallen away. And he, you can just, you being here, you need to know the devil is scared to death of who you are. But then check out what it says. It says it's melted. It says, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Not because of God. It's because the children of Israel served God and followed God. I'm here to tell you, it said there was no fight left in them. I'm here to declare over you the enemy that has been fighting you all these years, the enemy that has been coming against your family, the spirit of infirmity that has been coming against your physical body, the spirit of poverty that has been put in over your family for generations. It says he has lost even his heart to fight. That spirit is broken off of you this year. He don't even have the will to fight. Why? Because you're still here. You're still serving the Lord. And that enemy, his fight, the fight is over for you this year. Said the enemy just heard that they were there, saw the hand of God do it. It says that their heart melted and they lost the fight in them. I, I, I felt like the Lord told me this year, there's areas in our lives this year of your marriages. Over your kid. The enemy's going to say, you know what? This just ain't worth the battle. I'm going to go find somebody else that ain't willing to be as strong as they are and willing to be as courageous as they are and willing to do what they're going to do, willing to keep the commandments the way they have. I've got to find an easy target because I've got to tell you that you can't be beat. This is what the Bible says, though. It says, it says because. It says, and there was, a, there was no spirit left in them because of the children of Israel. It says, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make a flint knife. For yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again a second time. Now, when it says second time, that's not meaning cut the same people twice. All right. That'd be tough. <laughs> what that means is this. Let me, let me do the history here real quick so we can get to the end of this. When Abraham in Genesis 17 made a covenant with the Lord, he said, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God and I'm going to take care of your generations. You're going to have all these blessings. I'm going to, you're going to give you this land flowing with the milk and honey. You have this life that I long for you and you're, I'm going to be your God. He said, but I need you to give me a sign. He said, you need to circumcise all your male children. And you need to continue to do this. And so the Bible says that Abraham was circumcised and so from that point on, they began to circumcise Joshua now. I won't go into detail about circumcision, but I can tell you this story. There were two boys in a hospital about 10 years old. And they were both going in for day surgery, and they were both very scared and very nervous. They were sitting in the waiting room, and one of them looked at the other and says, What are you here for? He said, I'm here to get my tonsils out today. And uh, he said, Man, I'm so scared it's going to hurt. He said, Oh, I had that done last year. He said, I came in. You know, he said, I was nervous too, but they put me to sleep. I woke up. I had a little bit of a scratchy throat. They gave me some uh, ice cream for a couple of days. And it was over, I've never had a sore throat again. He said, oh, that's not that bad. He said, yeah, you're going to be okay. He said, what are you in here for? He says, well, I'm here to get circumcised. And the other boy says, whoa. He said, I had that done when I was born. He said, I don't remember anything about it. It took me a year to walk. <laughs> so, circumcision is a whole other beast. All right. <laughs> You've got to understand what God told Abraham to do here. He said, you know, there's an act that's going to take place, and it's not a pleasant or a pretty act. But this act that takes place will change and make you different from other people.
and my people, and if they're in my covenant, will have to have this mark. He told Abraham that. And for some reason, years passed, they got away from it. Because when we find the children of Israel in slavery, they were no longer living like the covenant of God that God had told Abraham. Now they were living in Egypt like Egypt. And all the male adults had never been circumcised. So the first thing God did with them when they came out of Egypt, and they came to the mountain, and God said, first thing we've got to do is we've got to circumcise them. Because guys, you've got to be different. can't be the same. You've got to be different than the world. And so they circumcised them at that mountain. I can't imagine how bloody, how gory, how rough, how tough, how messy that was. So God had moved and God had, and they, they, they cut away things or parts that God had told them to cut away. But then you would think, by seeing the hand of God with the ten plagues and split the Red Sea and do all that God did, feed them every day and lead them by night and lead them by day and give them birds and kill the snakes and help them win battles and move on their back. You would think that they would understand that, hey, what God tells us to do is worth doing. But here we find 40 years later, the next generation that had been born in the wilderness, living, moving into what God has for them, and none of them have been circumcised. They had allowed their life to begin to look again like everyone else's. Their physical marks began to jump. Let me explain to you, everything in the Old Testament is a shadow type. In the New Testament, you know, the Bible says that we are triune beings. I am a spirit. I live in a body. And I have a soul, which is my mind, my will, and emotions. Would you bring up that picture for me? Uh, maybe of the three men being. There are three parts of you. And see... There's an old message that used to be preached called this. There's an old message that was called um, Three Kings. There are three kings at work on this planet. There's one God who's the good king that's always at work on your behalf, always working to try to draw you to him, always working for your good, always working to be able to get you to a place that he designed and destined you to be. Then there's the king of the devil. You say, was he a king? Yeah. Yeah. And he's always working to try to kill, steal, and destroy. He's always working to try to take and stop and hinder. Always working to try to stop what God is doing. But then there's another king on this world that actually is the most powerful king on the earth. And that's you. And that's me. I am my own king. My will, there's the will of the Father, the will of the Son. I mean, the will of the Father, the will of the devil. And then there's my will. And the one I choose will be the one that comes about. The only thing more powerful on this planet than the will of God or the will of the devil is your will. And here, the Bible says that there are, we are a triune being. We, we have a body. That's my flesh. And it comes with desires and wants. And it's always trying to control my life. Then I have a spirit. And it has desires and appetites. And it's always trying to control my life. And then I have a soul. And the thing about it is the soul is under the command of whoever I let rule my life. My soul, if I let my flesh rule my life, 
my soul, my mind, my will and emotions will align itself with my flesh. And so everything I feel will be fleshly. Everything I see will be fleshly. Everything that I think will be fleshly. And the thing about it is the Bible says the flesh brings forth death. But now if, I'm, if I let my spirit rule, then my mind, my will and my emotions will align itself with the spirit. And then everything I see, I will see through the Spirit. Everything I hear, I will hear through the Spirit. Everything I feel, I will feel through the Spirit. And that life will bring me into, the Bible says, a Spirit-led life brings forth life. And so I get the choice. What's going on on the inside of me right now is there is a war. The best I've ever heard it for years, I've heard preachers say this. It's like a guy that owns two dogs. And, you know, every day he has these dogs, he puts them in a pen and he lets them fight. And they go at it and they go at it and go at it. But the man, what's crazy is a guy walked up to him and he says, which one's going to win? Do you ever know which one's going to win? He says, I always know which one's going to win. He says, how do you know which one's going to win? He said, it's whichever one I feed the day before. Because whichever one's got the most strength, whichever one that's got the most energy, whichever one that's been fed and taken care of the most, will have the power to win. And so a lot of times, Christians rise up and they don't understand that I don't have to be controlled by life. As a matter of fact, God's plan is this, that your spirit be the ruler, your soul be the servant, and your flesh be a slave. But the world says this, your flesh should rule, your soul should be a servant, and your spirit should be the slave. And it should only be there when I need it, or when I need something, or when I, then I go spiritual on it. I'll try, how many times you've said this? Man, I've tried everything else. All I can do now is pray. It's not about, I mean, it's not a crazy thing because even Mary and Joseph, people that God chose to raise Jesus, had that say, because when they lost Jesus, it says for three days they went everywhere. And it says on the third day they finally went and said, you know, let's go pray. And when they got there, they found him. I mean, it is the flesh constantly at war with the spirit. But the thing about it is, for you to live a spirit-filled life, you're going to have to consciously make the decision that I am not going to let... My flesh be the ruler. Because the flesh, if the flesh, if you don't allow the flesh to be taken care of, the flesh will destroy you. In olden days, they used to have a prison sentence that was horrible even to the mind. What they would do is they would take a man that had committed murder. And this is a hard, hard principle. And I still know farmers that do the principle, and I, it's pretty tough. But... Back in history, when someone was convicted of murder, what they did, the punishment, would not be locked them in jail, would not be put them at a time where they got their head cut off. They would take the body of the slave. If this was a slave rule. They'd take the body of the slave that they'd killed, and they would shackle them together. They would put hand to hand, feet to feet, waist to waist, and neck to neck. And then they would release him and let him go. And everywhere he went, he had to walk around with that dead body. Everything he did, he would walk around with that dead body. And as he went further and further, that body got more rotten and more rotten and more rotten. And what would happen, the death sentence was, the disease that was deteriorating that dead body would take over the living body. And it would eventually be the death sentence that killed the living body. That's exactly what happens to a lot of Christians in the church. They come in, and it's what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness. God delivered them, set them free, He saved them. And what God delivered them from, they allowed to stay in their life and stay in control. Because we see it when they said, God, did you get us out here? 
just to let us die. We'd rather go back to Egypt and eat onions and leeks. That's even that sounds crazy. Who who longs for onions and leeks? That tells you how crazy the desires of the flesh are. But at that time, those desires were so real that they were willing to go back into slavery to eat onions and leeks. Man, if I'm going back into slavery, you better have something a little better than onions and leeks. But the truth is, whatever the enemy's trying to pull you back into the old flesh with, it's just an onion or it's just a leek. It's going to leave you with indigestion and you're going to be stinking when you get done with it. That's what sin does. And so what the Bible says is, the Bible says before these guys, before God could let Joshua and Caleb, before God could give them the promises and win their battles, there had to be a season that they walked up and they were willing to allow their flesh to be marked. That's different. And the truth is, I don't know why those parents before didn't, but the only reason I can figure is because parents didn't realize how important it was for that the people that God has chosen, God chosen people to live different and to be different. See, what's going on in this side of you right now, the Bible says it in First um, Corinthians. Let me read this scripture. Right now, there are two yous. There's the inward man, and there's the outward man. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, therefore, we do not... Um, this is Second Corinthians uh, 4, 6, and 8. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. This scripture actually shows both of them in the same scripture. But the inward man and the outward man is mentioned all the way through the New Testament. There's an inward you and an outward you. And the problem with it is... A lot of people come into being the knowledge of God, but they don't step out of being what they had always been. And they think that the life that God has put on the inside of them is strong enough to change what they're allowing themselves to be on the outside. And therefore, the life of God, the promised life that they have, the spirit-filled life, the blessings of God, stays locked up on the inside of them, waiting for the day. That we allow the flesh to be cut and put away. See, the Bible says, like Jesus said, it's like this. He said, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. Bring up my, my wheat picture. Inside of a grain of wheat exists a power and a life to bring forth a fruitful and prosperous existence. When you take that little seed, you look at it, you think, well, I don't see a whole lot now, but you know the principle and the power of the seed. And and the size of an acorn is an oak tree, the life inside of it. If you've accepted Jesus, if you've allowed him to save you, and you've accepted him, you've moved into now, like in the picture of the wilderness, but there there is a life on the inside of you. There's an inward man on the inside of you that is wanting to grow. And wanting to take over the very existence of your life to bring you every good and perfect gift, the Bible says. And so here, the thing about it is the Bible, Jesus said this, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, you'll never see this. The problem with it is, because we accept Jesus, and, and i got to be honest, uh, I'm guilty of this, I like living the way I want to live in some areas. Even though maybe I know that God said that we're not supposed to Live that way. I, I like the life that God has on the inside of me. Staying in my seat. Because my shell 
feels good. And my shell is pretty. Or my shell is safe. I don't have to have faith to feel pleasure because my shell will let me do that. And so the flesh holds captive what God is wanting to do for you. You will never be strong enough in the flesh to accomplish and fulfill the promises of God through the Spirit. You're for the greatest hindrance to God blessing, taking you and leading you and bringing you into a place of promise is your flesh. It's what's holding you back. It's what's stopping the hand of God. You know, we, we get to a place where we don't think it, you know, maybe these things don't matter and you know, this ain't that big of a deal. Or You need to understand something. He told Joshua before they ever, and he says, keep my commandments. He did not write his commandments on a marker board. He didn't productive. And so there were probably tons of children, so at least millions or so. Can you imagine how messy that scene was? To the point where he got the name of Hill. It's a lot of stuff, a lot of blood, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. You say, well, why would God have them do this if they were moving into a promise? Because God has to make us different. We have to be different. We have to live different. We have to talk different. We have to walk different. We can't be like the world and possess the promises of God He has for us. And I don't know what the enemy tries to convince you is okay. But we got to go back to Joshua and see what the commandments of the Lord is. I know this. I've watched people over the years come in and give their heart to the Lord and God would radically save them. You know, there were years that my sister one time told me, you're the meanest kid in your family. I said, I was not. She said, yes, you are. You're the meanest one. I said, you said, you know, I'm going to punch you in the face. And because uh, she was not right. I'm playing. <laughs> but it's amazing the parts of me that in my walk with the Lord, God has asked me to lay down. You know, you may say, I've always been this way. You know, my family, my dad's an angry man, I'm angry man. There's parts of us we're going to have to be willing to cut away. Because there's parts of these guys. You say, well, this was the stupidest thing he could have done. God was willing to cripple his army. For them to be different. So he could fight on their behalf. Than to allow them to go into these battles in their own strength. And then be defeated by the enemy. The enemy goes around the Bible says like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for parts of your life. You know what lions are? Meat eaters. They're meat eaters. And the lion goes around the Bible says looking meat in your life and in my life. Meat that God has asked me to lay down. Parts of my flesh that God's asked me to change. Parts of my life that, you know what I'm saying, may not seem like a big deal. Maybe parts of me that I need to change and I need to buck up in or, you know, but parts of me that I, that I, I don't really, you know, the enemy, and what he does, the reason why the devil wants it there. Because it says, the devil goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, I've never seen a lion eat a spirit. Never. You can watch on after they eat bodies all the time. But when we become spirit men, there's no may involved in can the devil come against me. 
the hand of God will move against him. But if I give him something to eat, that God has asked me to cut away. It makes me a target to keep me and make me be a casualty or death on the battlefield. So before you're going to move into what God has for you, God's going to ask you to lay something down that you know you're not supposed to be carrying. That's why he said, I'm willing to let you be vulnerable. But check this out. I love this. Because, see, when I was growing up as a kid, as a PK, I would hear the things that God would say and that I can't do. And it seemed like the Bible was a bunch of can'ts. And so there was a bunch of cutting I thought was going to take place. And so there were years that I resisted God in my life because I won't be able to do that. And I won't be able to date her. And I won't be able to watch this. And I can't listen to them. And there were lots of things I thought he said I can't do. But then I realized when I gave it to him, what he gave me back was so much better. I was dating a girl that wasn't, she was right on paper, but she really wasn't right in her heart. And I knew that. I knew that man, but she was not only right on paper, she was right in the eyes too. I mean, she was hot. And man, I argued and fought with God and dated her way longer than I should have. And got myself to a place where I'd fallen in love with this girl. Man, and I knew God said, lay it down, 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 lay it down. And think about, I can tell you what God's asking to lay down is you can always tell when you come before the Lord or you come to church or you come to an altar. Before you can ask for anything else, you got to ask him to forgive you for it. This day when I used to smoke cigarettes, every time I'd come before the Lord, I'd have to start my prayer off with not our Father which art in heaven. I worship your name. It was, God, forgive me for smoking. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be. Because I knew. It didn't seem like that big of a deal. I mean, will smoking send you to hell? No, you'll just get to heaven real fast and you'll smell like you've been to hell. All right? But, so, could I do it? Yeah. But was it hindering me from being what God could move me into? How many of you guys would be listening to me right now if I had a cigarette hanging out of my mouth preaching the same message? It affects the promises that God has for you. And I'm not saying that that's you. You know, I mean, I'm not pretty good. It was for me. That's what God was telling me. The Bible says, Him that knows it is good and does it not to him it is sin. I can't tell you what's right or wrong. People have me all the time. Give me a list or a list in the Bible. But what's the Holy Spirit telling you? Because the Holy Spirit right now is telling you what it is that has kept God from being able to move you into the promise. What's kept God from being able to move you into blessing, into peace, into joy, into this spirit-filled life? But this is what the Bible says. The, the process here is this. They had to cut it away. And then let me read this to you. God don't leave us lacking. Yeah, they had this big old mountain of skin. Mm, that's a rough thought. But then read what it says on there. It says, And for this reason, Joshua circumcised them all. And all the people... Oh, wait, let me go back up. Then the circumcised and circumcised the son of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And it, it was this reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out to Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, 
had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt for all the people who had come out had been circumcised but all the people born in the wilderness on that day on that way they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised in other words they got the church had gotten a long way from what God had told the church it was supposed to be and I believe we face that a lot right now it says for the children of and are you saying cricket are you stuck in tradition no but the Bible does say don't remove the, the marking stones that you were left here by your forefathers there are some traditions that should not be taken away it says, For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who had came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. They, you will die knowing God has more for you till you make the decision. It's worth being cut. It says, To him the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to them, fathers, that he gave us. A land flowing. God has a spirit-filled life for you. A life that will flow out of abundance. Living water will feed and direct you and direct you. And let, uh, out of Ezekiel, where it says, everywhere it touched, life came. All right, but it says, it, it says it, a life flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons. I love this. Joshua didn't ask why. may not make sense to you. Joshua didn't say why. This is why God chose Joshua. Even Jesus said, God, why? Why do I got to do this? But I'd rather not. But this Jesus, Joshua, me did. Jesus came and didn't even ask why. He knew. Joshua knew that we got to be different. We can't be like the rest. It says, Joshua circumcised their sons. He raised up in their place. For they were uncircumcised because they had not given circumcised on the way. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, they sat in their place in the camp until they were healed. I love this. God didn't leave them cut. They became healed. They healed. That's what freedom is. That's why we push life groups. Because God doesn't want you to stay broken and saved. He wants you to live a life of freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free and He wants you to like free. Once you live a life free of bitterness, unforgiveness. Once you live a life free of hurt and regret, free of disappointment and depression. God wants you to live and He will heal all of that. If you're willing to let Him cut away what's not supposed to be there. And then this is what I'm going to say. This is what He told them first. And then we're done. Three things He told them in this chapter. One, you got to cut the flesh away. Because it's what the enemy will use against you to keep you from possessing the land. I can't move on your behalf till you let me take out of your life what's not supposed to be there. Say, well, Cricket, what is that? The Bible says the Word of God is a two-edged sword. It cuts, separates soul from spirit. It will separate us from our flesh. And so, me and Jen, we're on a challenge right now. It's like, well, we're, I, we were like, all right, so what are the commandments? How do we do this thing? And there's a lot of them. Oh, <laughs> man. And so we're like, how do, I, how do I eat an elephant one bite at a time? So where do I start? What commandments do I start following? So we started looking at it. I'm trying to find a book saying, all right, what are the first scriptures you're supposed to apply to your life? I, mean, I ain't been able to find nothing. I've been looking for weeks. And so I was like, God, where do we start as a church? And this is what the Lord told me. He said, what did Jesus say, dude? I was like, wow, check that out. I don't need to know all the commandments in the Bible. Let's start on something like that. So we started looking at what commandments Jesus personally said. And Jesus, while he was here, gave us 49 commandments. That's a lot. That's a lot. 
really not. Because, see, God wants to move you into a new season. And a season is six weeks. Six weeks is 40 days. So what me and Jim started doing, we're, we're flying this thing as a test pilot. All right? We're, we're, we're taking the 49 commandments of Jesus. And every day, we're getting up and we're taking one. And we're going to try to apply it to our lives that day. And then the next day, we're going to take another one and try to do that one and this one. All right? And you know what the very first one is? Repent. First commandment, Jesus, every day. It starts with repentance. It starts with cutting the flesh away. Now, we're going to tell you what happens. Are you going to get to watch and see? Because me and Jen are doing this thing where we're going to do 40 days. You know, you've heard of 40 days. Bro. We're, we're taking the, and then we're going to try to develop it into something that maybe people can take the challenge with us as well. But living out these 49 commandments. And you say, well, what, well one of them is uh, go the second mile. <laughs> That's uh, That deals with me how I work at work. You know what I'm saying? So there's all these cool ones in there. But we're going to, and I want you to watch my life. I give you permission. Like Adam said, God says, test me. I want you to watch me. If I don't give a season to cutting flesh away and putting commandment in, how God and what God will do for me and mine. But I can promise you this, the word of God never fails. And you're going to watch me grow, blow, and prosper. And if you don't choose to do it later, you're just going to miss out. Because some people do. It's just the truth. That's why I tell me, he said, first of all, be willing to cut the flesh away. Then secondly, this is what he told them they had to do there. He said, then remember Passover. What does that mean? That, well, back in Egypt, when God sent the death angel over and the blood of the lamb kept them from get, killing the kids, protected their families and protected their homes. That's called the Passover. But at the mountain, God told them they were to remember it and they were to celebrate the Passover. But that was the only, again, the people had moved into a place of just living like the world and they'd never celebrated Passover again. There are seven feasts. God, you know, God wants you to celebrate and be happy and party. God does want you to, God wants you to live a life of celebration. And that's why there's seven different celebrations that was law they had to participate in. They were not Mardi Gras, all right? But they were parties. And, um, but, and so the children of Israel had gotten away from celebrating what God had done in their life. So therefore, they weren't seeing. But you want me to tell you how you go back into being what you were? You quit celebrating what God has done for you in the past. You know many people I've met that give their hearts to the Lord and God cuts all this stuff away and they'll serve the Lord a year or two years and then all of a sudden, somehow, they think God changed their mind that it's okay to go back drinking this or it's okay to go back and doing that or it's okay to go back and going there. Do you know how people can do that? Because they forget to celebrate. They forget what God has done for them and how the hand of God was with them. And how God brought them out of what they were so they find themselves slowly crawling back into it again. So the command there was one, we got to cut some flesh away this year. Two, we got to learn to celebrate and remember what God has done. But then, number three, this is what he told them. He said, now it's time to change your diet. This is where it got excited. When you read the rest of that chapter, it says this, that was the last day they ever ate manna. They ate roasted corn. They ate fruit of the land. Their diet for 40 years 
they had to eat manna. It says it, roasted corn. Right? That's pretty cool. But it says for 40 years, God, it said they had to get up every day depending on God for survival. Because if God didn't bring the manna, they didn't eat. If God didn't bring because they couldn't hold it overnight. Couldn't save it up, the Bible says. So every day they had to, I can't imagine dads having to get up and say, God, I sure, when they go to bed, God, I sure do hope that manna comes tomorrow. My babies are going to go ahead, go to bed hungry tomorrow. But all of a sudden it stopped. That sounds scary. But you got to see what happened. No longer did they have to just depend on God. They got to begin to be used by God to support their families. And they got to be used by God to transform a nation. And they got to be used by God. And they got to reap the benefits of the blessings of the promise. I'm here to tell you, this year's different than any other year you've ever lived. This year, God's commandment to us is be strong and courageous. Now, that's not a mindset. Over the next couple weeks, there are some things we're going to have to do because you just don't get strong on it. No baby's born strong. No person that doesn't choose to be strong well, on their own just arrives strong. There's choices and purposeful things we have to make. But the Bible says if we will do these, we can be strong and crazy and possess the land. But today is going to be this. There's some people that's got to lay some, let, allow the knife to touch some sensitive parts in your life. Because, see, God can't let you carry this into what God has for you. Because there was a man named Ankin that when they got to the battle, his flesh was still in control. And he took something that didn't belong to him. And he went back to his house and he hid it in his tent and thought nobody knew. But then they came on a battlefield. And he watched his friends die on a battlefield. But that wasn't the bad part. The bad part was when it came out, they lined his children up and they stoned them all. That's hard. Watching the news, a very famous pastor that has fallen in the last few months of a world church. And for years, I mean, he's been interviewed by Oprah, a celebrity pastor. And we just watched him fall. And there is forgiveness for falling. I'm so thankful for that. But the first time I read that story, tears were coming down my eyes because this is what I knew about it. As two teenage kids whose lives were set as world changers. And they were getting positioned, two teenagers, you know, young teenagers, they were getting positioned to go to some Bible college and they were going to be used mightily in ministries around the world. But because the dad didn't deal with something, those kids stones. Those kids are going to get hit with stones for the rest of their life. You think it's not that important? It's that important. That you be willing to let something get cut away. And then you say, well, Cricket, how do I keep it away? You remember, you celebrate, you celebrate. And then you move into a place where you don't have to depend on God to survive. 
your life begins to become fruitful and you will live off the fruit of the land. It's that simple. So this is what I want to do. I want, I want to pray real quick with you over laying something as a let me let me not draw it out long on this and this. How fast does it take to cut it off? I got I, they use sharp knives, all right? It says make flint knives. They made sure these knives were sharp, and I believe they did it for this reason. So it wasn't, I mean, I gotta be honest with you. I'm never gonna let a doctor cut on me with a uh, butter knife. It's not gonna happen. They didn't tell you to get a rusty butter. The devil likes to use rusty butter knives when he deals with issues because he likes it to take a long time and you feel bad and you. This is the way God says do it. Get a knife made of flint stone. And what it does, the flint stone is, is a representative of the word of God. It's quick and it's sharp and it's, the wise man builds a house upon the rock. And, and so, then, it's gone. And it's over. And healing instantly begins. So, we're going to pray. And I want to pray. If there's a part of your life that you know the enemy has tried to use to keep you held back, we're going to cut it right off. And you need to know. You'll stand up from here and it's over. You don't walk out of here feeling guilty anymore. You don't walk out of here letting the Bible says that God didn't come to condemn the world. He said, well, Cricket, I sure am feeling bad right now. That's the Holy Spirit. But you may watch it. When you you repent of it and you ask God to forgive, it's gone. The Holy Spirit will do nothing but celebrate with you from this point on. And if the enemy brings anything back bad to you, you need to tell him, shut up, devil. I'm not with you no more. Because you got to know that the, we're going into the next chapter. This is what the Bible says. Joshua was there and they were facing this big city and the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua. And this is what the angel of the Lord said. The angel of the Lord appeared and Joshua was like, whoa, whoa. We're talking about this being Jesus. So the says, the angel of the Lord, that was, that's representative of Jesus. He saw it at Abraham. And, right, so Jesus appeared to Joshua and he says, who are you with? Are you with me? Or are you with them? And this is what the angel of the Lord said. I'm not with either one of you guys. But you want me to tell you who's going to win? Whoever decides to be with me. We got this bad habit of trying to get God to get on our side. Trying to get God to let us keep the stuff in our life we want to have and justify it in some way. But the Holy Spirit said, no, no, no. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side, but you have an opportunity to be on mine. And if you get on mine, we've already won this thing. And you're going to see the next battle, the next time this thing comes up, and the next thing the enemy tries to come against you with, I'll take care of it for you. You will not have to fight it. And so we're going to pray, and it's going to be like, let's go. And then you're going to get up, and you're going to be healed. And you're going to go out, and you're going to be free. And you're going to go out, and you're going to begin to see the power of God at work in your life, because it's over. Well, I can't wash away this is my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All right, but then we're going to celebrate. Now, there's an old, old song. I'm talking about, I'm going way back in hillbilly days. How many of you guys remember this old song? Well, let me pray with you real quick. Let's cut, and then we're going to do this. If you're here and you say cricket, I'm not going to ask you to stand because I want to be honest with you. Every one of us have something. Every one of us have something that has got to be cut off today. You're not the only one. Every one of us do. And so I'm here standing before you today. I blew it so bad this morning. Brother White walks in. He's an employee here at the church. And I'm a deep personality. And just because I'm a deep personality, don't make what I do right. Because I've always been this way. Don't make it right. And so he walked in. And I was like, Brother White, brother, 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 went straight into business. It was like him walking in the door and me taking a two by four and busting him in the head with it. 
can write that and say that's just me. But the truth is, that was my flesh. Because this man was coming to the house of the Lord to worship the Lord. What do you think God was caring about right then? I said in the word about business, I should have been worshiping the Lord. I had to repent in the first service. I'm here to tell you now. There's things in my life that are flesh. I love it in Joshua chapter 12. This is what it says. All right. If you're going down, they say that, that hill of foreskins, I know I'm long. All right. We're not having church tonight. Are you going to move it? All right, but this is what I said. That hill of foreskins got a new name. And that hill of foreskins name became Gal Gilgal. You know what the word Gilgal means? Turning place, rolling stone, moving forward. So that place of cutting, that place of, this will be a turning point in your life for what God has for you. So we got to cut it. We got to cut it. Because anything God asks you to give up, He's going to give you back a hundredfold in different ways than you can possess. He said, give up the wilderness, I'll give you the promised land. That's why. So let's pray. Father God, I ask you right now. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for the flesh that I've allowed to master and control my life. And Lord, right now I ask you to take your word and cut my flesh and my spirit apart. I repent for my sin. I repent for my flesh. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. And I turn and repent from those areas that I know are not like you. Know not what you've asked me to do. And from this point on, I lay it before you. But Lord, if I mess up, I make the commitment to you. That first John 1 9 it says, I will confess my sin and you will be faithful to forgive me. So Lord, this is not who I am. I'm not writing it. I'm not keeping it. I'm not holding on to it. I'm asking you to remove it because I forgive. I ask you to forgive me. I thank you for setting me free. Now what we got to do is we got to remember who we are. And there's this old song. And I want everybody to sit down just for a minute. Because this is the new part we're going to move into. Said so we got to move into celebrating. All right, so this is an old hillbilly song, all right? So all of you soul people, I apologize. I know this is hillbilly. All right? But it's, it was written long in old churches. What they would do is they would sing this song. So I was touched by the hand of the Lord. On Sunday, I was touched by the hand of the Lord. And then we sing through the first course. Justin has been practicing one of these old hillbilly songs. Then it says on Monday, I would say it must have been the hand of the Lord. But see, you got to remember, because what will happen is this. If you don't remember Passover, don't remember when things change. Don't remember when the blood of Jesus shifted everything. You're going to walk out of here today, and the enemy's going to convince you that you're no different than what you were back before the blood of Jesus came on your post. And so what we're going to do, we're going to sing this. And we're going to start on Monday. Let's start on Monday. And if you can remember the day that you were saved. And it was a Monday. When we sing Monday, I want you to stand to your feet. And then when we sing Tuesday, I don't know if you can remember when you were saved. But if it was Tuesday, you stand it. If it was Wednesday, I want you to stand. If it was that, but I, when we get to Sunday, I want to do it last for this reason. Because today's Sunday. If you have it and you can't remember when the blood of Jesus came over your door and the blood of Jesus changed your life, I'm here to tell you, Sunday is your day. Today will be the greatest day you've ever lived.
Today will be the day that you will celebrate Passover. Today will be the day that you will move into a spirit-filled, spirit-led life full of promises and blessings and free from curses and sin. Today will be the day.